Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mastering Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Mortensen. Today's guest is Tori Sheffer, who is a commercial real estate investor and owner of Sheffer Capital, which is transacted on over $70 million across 650 units in Michigan, South Carolina, and Texas. Tori, welcome, and thank you so much for being on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So why don't you start by introducing yourself to the listeners, tell us where you're from, how you got started, and we'll go from there. Yeah, perfect. So uh, my name is Tori Sheffer. I'm, I live in Michigan. I'm from Michigan. Um, how I got started is I was a real estate agent and I wanted to kind of build something that was like lasting, build equity, uh, so, you know, something that I could in theory retire from and, and kind of build up, a um, you know, a, 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 some equity, right. You know, long-term something that when I quit working can still pay me or can still support my family or whatever. So, um, you know, being a real estate agent, I looked at long-term I'll be in Michigan and the top agent in Michigan at the time was selling probably 120 million a year. And I think probably she would net maybe $2 million a year off of that and have to work constantly, right? She's fourth generation. Her grandpa started it. You know, she knows every single person on the market knows her. Um, so I looked at it. Okay. You know, if I want to try and build up to that point, it's going to probably take me number one, like 15 years to get there. And number two, uh, do I want to do that? Right. She's stuck in Michigan all the time. She works all the time. There's no, there's really no time freedom. And, and a big goal of mine is, is like true time and location freedom and be able to actually do things that I want to do rather than being stuck, you know, doing showings every other day. Going, going, um, off of that is, is kind of when I started to learn about multifamilies and, and learn about the process and how, how much of an impact that could have and just kind of the long-term, uh, long-term goal of it. And that's kind of what drew me to it. So tell me about your first commercial real estate deal, how you got into that, what that looked like, partners, ups and downs, kind of just dive in on that first deal of yours. Yeah. So my very first deal, um, I got it on a mailer and it was a, so I sent a mailer to 50 or like 500 apartments or apartment owners. Um, and the first one hit on, I think it was a 56 unit. And the, uh, the family that owned it, they had a broker who was a family friend, but he was like an industrial guy, not really a multifamily guy. And he emailed me and he said, Hey, we have 11 other properties. Uh, you know, the family is selling their entire portfolio. Do you want to buy all of them? They would like to sell them as one package. And I responded, I said, yes, sounds great. I'll buy them all. You know, I, I knew nothing at the time, but I figured, you know, I'll say yes, I'll get the info and I'll figure it out from there. If it works, it works. You know, I had, I really had nothing to lose. So, um, he sent me the info and I took a look at it. I sent them an initial LOI, I think for it. So it ended up being 232 units is how many they had. It was 12 properties. And I sent them the initial LOI uh, for 13 and a half million. And I think I had about 50 grand to the make at the time. And, uh, and then they responded and I think he actually countered me. I don't remember what he countered it at, but then once it became like, okay, this could actually happen. Then I called uh, David Tupin, who is now a good friend of mine. I think you said you had him on here. Um, mm -hmm. So I called David because he had done a couple of deals prior to that. And he was, you know, had access to the capital and could bring the earnest money and all of that. So I called him, told him about the deal. They really liked the deal. So um, he came in and they actually led the way in the deal. And I really just rode the coattails. 
and got a, you know, a good piece of the equity on it. And, you know, they did all the work and I was able to see, um, you know, the entire process of that deal getting done. So, um, we went under contract, we ended up having someone approach us that wanted to buy all of the properties from us. Um, they, we ended up selling eight of the properties to them, uh, 184 units. It was actually two different groups, but we made about a, a million for a uh, wholesale fee. I think it was like a net little over a million after attorney fees and transfer tax, things like that. But um, yeah, so it was like a, mil a million for wholesale fee that that first deal turned into. And then we still owned uh, 48 units. And now the 48 units we've gone full cycle on, you know, we had 28 units, which was two tens and an eight, which we sold those in a year and a day. And then a 20 unit, which we're all into for, I think a million eight. And we actually just refinanced it and it appraised for a million or no, no, uh, 4.6 million. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw that on, some... on David's story about that. That was yours. Yeah. That was part of that first deal. Yep. So I, you know, I have a smaller piece of it, but, um, you know, that was, that was part of that, uh, that deal. Yeah. So it's, it's great, uh, to have one like that. It really kind of catapulted me into it. It's like the grand slam of all grand slams is, uh, you know, to, to go right off the bat with that one was killer. Yeah. That's a heck of an at bat. Yeah. Yeah. It was not bad. <laughs> so with that, and that, and that was a whole, that first one was a wholesale. How, and what was the year that you were working on this? That was, that was 2020. So the, I guess the first offers I think was like 2019. It was fall of night. I actually remember cause it was the day before opening day hunting season. Uh, and we were up at my uh, family's hunting camp and I was writing the first offer. It's like 10 o'clock at night. I was like, this is kind of delusional. Like I'm writing a 13 and a half million dollar offer and like I didn't have near the money to do it or really the connections outside of David at the time to be able to get it done. But, you know, I just kind of, I'm, I'm much more of a shoot the name type of guy. And, and, uh, you know, if you're not kind of the, the man in the arena, or if you're not, you know, willing to go and try something, you're never going to figure out if you can do it. So. Exactly. Well, let's talk about that. Cause that is a running theme with a lot of the people that I've already interviewed, spoken with, and just even just normal conversations with other investors, other operators, that they are more of a, a shoot than aim type of person, always action and then figuring it out along the way. Yeah. What, what about this situation? Cause that's no joke. I mean, writing a 13 and a half, once you send that email for the first time, that LOI, that's a huge step. So what makes you feel comfortable to do that in order to, cause starting with, with nothing and not having done, you were doing residential all res was it all residential before? Yep. Yeah. All residential brokerage. Yep. Yeah. So move, taking that big step, what was going through your mind? What gave you the confidence to do that? I mean, it was really just kind of coming from a point of have nothing to lose, right? Worst case, they say no and tell me to kick rocks. So, um, you know, I'd done plenty of cold calling. I've had plenty of rejections. So, um, you know, that, that part of it, I, I really didn't care. I guess I really didn't think about it because worst case they say is no. And best case is exactly how it ended up turning out. Actually, best case would have been if we kept them because we left about $10 million on the table by selling them rather than holding on to all of them until now. Um, but, you know, I, there was nothing to lose. So, you know, if the worst thing that someone can do is tell you no, then you should go for it 100 out of 100 times. Yeah, no, I agree. And when, and you said that happened 2019 and then 2020 as well. So was any of that affected by the pandemic, COVID? What happened when that uh, occurred with you in this portfolio. Yeah. So we were, we were in our contract just before the entire state shut down. We actually toured all of the units, um, you know, in our due diligence, the like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 
and then the entire state of Michigan was shutting down on Monday. So, um, you know, we were touring these properties with masks and gloves and we'd come across people had their attorneys put, uh, or tell their attorneys to put letters on the door saying, you know, we don't grant your permission, blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, that was a kind of a big ordeal, but then there was, uh, there was some delays with financing and all this stuff. So, um, but the sellers actually ended up expecting us to retrade them based off COVID because there was now banks were requiring like six to 12 months of COVID reserves and all this different, you know, stuff that was going on. So, uh, the seller ended up asking if we were, if we were going to come to a price reduction and we actually weren't planning to, but then, um, David and I were talking, we're like, Hey, let's, you know, if they asked, let's, you know, say something. They obviously have it in, in their mind that we're going to come for another price. So, um, so we asked for 2 million, they give us a million eight off of what we had in our contract. For. So, the, so the seller came to you and was like, are you going to reduce the price? Like he's expecting it. Yeah. They just, they're like, Hey, we feel like it's going to get to that point. So let's just get there, which <laughs> hey, was great. <laughs> That's crazy. I've never heard of a seller preemptively <laughs> going out yeah, of I mean, it was, like it, that. It was a, a family that their dad had built these properties and they had owned them and managed them forever, but it's, they, they had never bought anything else. They had never sold anything. So they really weren't active like in them. They were active from a management standpoint and they managed them like well enough to obviously get by and do the properties were really well maintained, um, but they weren't rent optimized at all. And they really had no clue on the sales market because they'd never been in the sales market. True, true mom and pop right there. Yeah, it worked out perfect. Yeah. So tell me more about Shepherd Capital, what you guys focus on, what you work on. Tell us about that business, who your partners are, how big of an operation it is. And uh, yeah, just kind of tell us what you guys are working on and focused in. Yeah. So that so that first deal, those first deals, they kind of had staggered closings from like August until October of 2020. 2020. Um, and then I closed a 24-unit, which was the first deal that I did as a solo GP in November of 2020, which I had found on the same mailer. And I ended up getting a contract. I think it was in June. Um, so it was 24 units. And then I had a, another guy that I had, I, I posted somewhere about this mailer and this guy, he's 20 years old, going to college at Wayne state reached out and he said, Hey, what'd you put on your mailer? I want to send a mailer, um, see if I can get anything. So I sent him a copy of the mailer and he sent one out and then he called me. He's like, Hey, I have a seller that wants to meet, but I don't know what to do. So can you come with me? So I went with him and it was kind of like full circle. Granted the deal was 33 units, not 230, but um, you know, that, that deal has gone really well. We bought it for a million eight in February of 21. Uh, we're now going to close in the next week or two for 2 million, 750, um, knock on wood. So it, uh, you know, that that's worked out really well. And then we've bought uh, a couple others. I've done some down in Texas with David and, uh, Zach Harris, which I'm sure, you know, as well. Um, and so total like transaction volume to date is right around 70 million. Um, we currently own right around 250 units worth around $40 million. That's awesome. And that's in the span of just a few years. Yeah. I mean, the first deals closed in 2020, really like the first like strong activity was 2019. So, um, yeah, just a few years. And then now, uh, my wife works with me full time. So she does all of our asset management and she is the one talking with our property managers about units getting turned and delinquencies and, uh, rent collections and all of that. She manages all of that. Um, and I'm just like very purely future focused or big picture focused. So I'm, you know, cold calling for deals, mailing for deals, talking to the brokers, talking to investors, um, 
the bulk of my time is either looking for deals or looking for money. So, um, yeah, it's worked out really, really well. So let's, let's talk about the mailers. Cause you mentioned that and having success with that. What does that mailer look like? And I actually think you sent me the, one of the ones that we have a template of, um, if I remember, but, and it's worked fairly well actually. So tell, tell the listeners about what that mailer looks like. What your, is it the same one that you're still using or are you, have you changed it up? Yeah, no, it's the same one I'm still using. I actually have one printed and ready to get stuffed. Uh, I'm probably going to send it out next week. Um, yeah, I'm using the exact same template. It's, um, you know, it's just a letter. It says, Hey, my name's Tori Sheffer and, you know, kind of a quick background. Here's where I'm sending you a letter, uh, because I'm interested in buying your property at X address, X property name, whatever. Um, and then I talk a little bit about here's a list of our past deals just to show like, Hey, we do have the ability to buy this, which on the first letter I had zero past deals. So I used David's past deals because I knew I was going to, if I got something, I was going to bring it to him. So I, you know, asked him what his past deals were and threw him in that letter. And, you know, we were, we were kind of friends at that point. Not, you know, we had hung out a couple of times and met a couple of times. I had asked him to, and I, I first met him by I bought him lunch at Buffalo Wild Wings and kind of asked him a couple of questions. As I was like, we didn't really know each other, but then it kind of just snowballed. And you know, we're good friends now. So, um, but yeah, so it's it's kind of an uh, like a quick intro. My name's Tori Schaffer. We buy you know multifamily apartments. Um, here's why I'm sending you a letter. You know, we really like your property. It fits our investment criteria perfectly. And here's a list of the past deals. If you're interested, give me a call. Um, you know, with my info. That's really. It's really kind yeah. of, you know, there's Just, obviously more words to it, but it's pretty basic. Yeah. Easy, straightforward, simple, easy to understand and, yep. and doesn't get in too much detail. And it's not, not a big flashy. Yeah. There's no really fluff. I mean, it's just black and white letter, you know, kind of just a professional looking straightforward letter. So, you know, I've had people see like, Oh, do the yellow mailer and send it on a sparkly envelope and all this other garbage. But, um, Really what I've found to work the best is just a very basic letter, you know, that someone would open in the mail. And really my ideal seller is a retiring owner, right? Someone who owns and self-manages and they own one or two or three properties and they want to retire and be done owning apartments or be done managing apartments. Um, those people are still opening mail. So a lot of people talk bad about direct mail, but all of my target sellers open mail, right? I'm not mailing to big organ. I, I am mailing to big organizations. They never call me back. Um, but you know, those retiring sellers or kind of getting to that retiree age, they still, you know, they still open the mail. Granted, I open all the mail too. I'm 29. Um, but I think it's worth it. Yeah. You never know what's in there. Plus it's, it's obviously a numbers game with that. So it's, unless you're being extremely hyper-targeted, but, but there's better avenues for that. Yeah. The mailers is just a numbers game. Do you find that you're running out of retiring owners just with how popular multifamily has been in every market in the United States and with the continuation of value add every, every cycle? I mean, probably, but I, you know, I haven't, it's impossible to say, right. Because I don't really know who is a retiring owner. Um, I'm just sending out mailers to all the apartments in my target market that I want to try and buy. And if they happen to be a retiring owner, that just happens to be the case. So um, it's not like I'm only mailing to retiring owners. And yeah, I mean, I have no idea, but the thing about, um, you know, going through cycles and time going by is as someone retires and some syndicator buys their apartments, 
um, you know, next year, another person gets older and they want to retire the year after. So it's kind of going to be a never ending cycle of people, you know, people retire. It's no different than people, you know, graduate from college, people get married, you know, there's just a life doesn't really stop. Time doesn't really stop. So, you know, the retiring owners, that's, that's never going to stop. People will always be retiring. That's a good point. Do you, when you're talking with seller, cause how many direct to seller deals have you done? And those have been the only types of deals that you've done, right? I've bought two deals from brokers. Gotcha. Out of 16. Okay. So a good, yeah, a good portion of those 14 of those have been direct to seller. Correct. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about the nuances of talking with sellers, convincing them to, to work with you and to sell their property in, in general, if they weren't currently thinking about it. what are kind of the conversations, how do they go? Yeah. So, um, one thing I think is, is kind of figuring out who that seller is, right? You don't want to come off as like, at this point, I, like I, I just toured a property that's owned by a REIT, right? So you can kind of like present yourself as like, oh, Mr. So sophisticated and you know all this stuff and, um, you know, kind of use all these fancy finance words or whatever. Granted, I didn't like, I know the brokers really well, so I don't have to like put off this fluff attitude, but if you didn't know the brokers, you might have to come off as like, you know, using all these, you know, fancy fluffy words. But um, it's really just getting to know the seller and kind of what their actual motivation is, right? If they want to retire, but if it's just like a mom and pop guy and he just wants to talk to a normal person, um, then you just be a normal person. So I, I think it's a matter of just being a likable human. And if the seller gets that idea that you're not trying to screw them, you're just, you buy apartments, you're young, they're old. Hey, I'm getting into this. You're getting out of it. Let's do a deal together. Um, you know, and... and kind of finding a way to convey that message and, and relate to them or, or find some common ground to get along with them is, is the biggest thing, but you don't want to, you don't want to come up like some people try and come off as like, Oh, they're so sophisticated, you know, syndicator. It's not rocket science. What we're doing. Like you don't need a, I, I dropped out of college. You don't need to be that smart. Um, you know, so a lot of people act like it's so fancy, but I think it's actually easier if you just really talk nuts and bolts with, uh, with owners about it, because they're doing it right. You're not going to trick them. They understand they've been doing it for 20 years, 30 years. There's nothing to uh, really try and fluff outside of like, Hey, I want to buy your apartments. Do you want to sell it? If yes, great. If no, great. I'll go call the next guy. Exactly. And in so many of the conversations I've had with sellers, they are just the most down to earth people. They, the, one of the last things they want to talk about half the time is the real estate. They, you know, they get it. They were going to get a deal done, talk about nuts and bolts for a minute. And then otherwise they really just want to know who you are. And if you're a good person, right. so much of it is, if they can just trust like, you, right. If, if, you, exactly. if you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And, and um, yeah, I would say that's the number one thing. Was that something that you, you put a lot of thought into ahead of time before you started having conversations with sellers? Like, were you reading sales books? Were you looking at scripts or did you kind of just, Say, I'm just going to call them up and talk to them. Yeah, no, I was just, I mean, I've, I've listened to sales books and, and listened to the podcast and all of that stuff, but um, yeah, no, I don't do any of that. Like, I know there's uh, what's that? I think it was like NLP or something. I, I heard about it when I was an agent, like doing college, it's like matching someone's tone or their language and kind of just like weird speech shit that you could do. Um, but yeah, no, I just like be a normal person. And I think if someone is going to like me. They're going to like me. If they don't, then they don't. So it's, it's, is what it is. It's, it's probably pretty difficult to pretend to be something that you're not or act to be some way that you're not. Um, and at the end of the day, if you're a likable person and they, they can trust what you say, um, then the deal is going to happen. And if not, then it won't. So it's really, I don't know. It, it's just a matter of 
kind of acting with integrity and obviously in the best interest, it's my best interest to buy your property. It's your best interest to sell me your property. So that, you know, aligns really, really well. Um, but yeah, no, it's just a matter of talking to them. And it, it's not like I, like I had experience obviously as a broker and an agent talking to plenty of clients, like hundreds of clients before. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a new thing talking to people about this stuff for me. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You you mentioned that you were more of the future facing, you know, building out the pipeline for you and your business. What are some of your goals that you currently have? You know, we're halfway through the year at this point of recording. What do you have planned for the rest of the year? Do you have longer term goals? How do you set goals? Tell us about that. Yeah, so long term, I want to build a full scale private equity company buying um, real estate, but also other companies. Um, I've done some small venture capital investing. Uh, you know, and kind of just the whole investment world is super interesting to me. Uh, real estate has just kind of been, I, I think it's kind of the lowest barrier to entry from a knowledge standpoint, right? I'm not a tech guy, so I can't go to a startup. I can't go, you know, try and do VC money. Granted, I've done some VC investments, but I, you know, to be honest, it's betting on the person rather than the, the company. Um, and then, you know, I just, uh, long-term that is the goal is to build a, a full-scale private equity. Um, the goal for this year is to buy four properties, uh, that are kind of like wheelhouse deals and then buy one property that's like, um, you know, something that would bump me up to the next level. So for example, a wheelhouse deal for me is something between three to 15 million, somewhere from 30 to 120 or 150 units and a, um, you know, something that's going to bump me up to the next level is going to be a one single deal that's over 20 million. Uh, would be something that's like, okay, we can kind of hang our hat on this deal and use that as the as the crutch to get us to the next step. That's awesome. Lofty goals. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I haven't bought anything yet. Granted, rate, rates have finally sort of stabilized and come around in like high 5% right now. So um, it feels really good. I think uh, I'm hoping that no, next week we actually have um, three different properties under contract. So that could, you know, kind of swing pretty quickly. But I think that the second half of this year should go really, really well. And, you know, if not, it's, we don't need to buy deals, but it's just, you know, obviously a goal of mine to keep buying deals. No, and that's super exciting. And I, I know you're going to kill it. So when you, when you take a look at building a real estate, private equity firm, group business, how do you start getting that framework together? Is there something that you're basing it off of? How do you put those nuts and bolts together from scratch? Yeah. So I guess, uh, I'm basing it off of what I learned from other people, right? Um, there are guys like Chris powers has a, has a podcast, the fort with Chris powers. Um, he has a real estate private equity company and they, I think have like 50 employees. And there's a guy, Moses Kagan out of, uh, LA that he also does the same thing. They do it with a fund they manage in house. So, um, it's really kind of learning from guys that I've seen and that I know, and that I talk to and kind of figuring out what they do and, you know, picking and choosing part of their business that I think that I like and that I could apply um, to kind of build the machine that I'm trying to build. And so what was the, the driving force to get into that versus continuing to do what you're doing solely? So, I mean, I think it's just a growth, a growth, standpoint right every every step of the way there's always something you want more you want more you want more um and i think the only person i've met in my entire life who had enough was my my grandpa um who just passed away but you know he was a farmer and 
and he just he farmed till the day he died so um you know granted he retired had a small had a small he planted his crops he had like a quarter acre house or a quarter acre lot in a subdivision and he he planted like rows of crops in his backyard so um you know i think it's just a matter of me always wanting more and more and more hopefully i get to that point one day where it's like all right i'm done i throw my phone in the water and i can just relax um but realistically i'm not super wired that way so we'll see right so with the title of the podcast being mastering commercial real estate is there a field a skill a thing that you do that you feel like you've mastered and is your strength among other things yeah. So I don't, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say that I've mastered it. Um, I still got a long way to go, but, uh, we'll keep certainly it I think, <laughs> it, I think something, um, you know, kind of uh, what I'm best at is really like relationships and, and building relationships with, with brokers or sellers or, um, you know, owners or whoever investors, um, you know, just, I, I'm, I'm kind of a people person. Uh, you know, I enjoy talking to people. I get really curious about other people's lives and, or not like their lives, but like what they do and kind of like what makes them tick, what drives them. Um, that part of the business is super interesting to me. And that was one of the biggest things when I was a real estate agent, um, you know, I talked to different clients and figure out how they, how they did what they did and, you know, figure out different ways um, that they did things that I could then apply to my career and my life. And I think that part of it is just kind of uh, resonated with people. And it's, you know, I'm a, pretty likable guy and can borderline hold a conversation with anyone, right? Someone could disagree with me on every single topic. And I would probably like be super interested to talk with them for like a couple hours. So um, I think that's definitely a benefit. For people that have difficulty with the interpersonal part and this, if they want to be successful in, in real estate, you have, you have to have a degree of skill at that. For people that aren't as attuned in that area like you are, what is some advice you would give them for networking, creating relationships that are meaningful, but also purposeful? Cause I feel like the biggest thing is, well, I want to, I'm a people person, but I don't want to come off that. I only want to be transactional or things like that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's a matter of like, if you don't want to be transactional, then they just don't be transactional. Right. If you want to like, actually get to know someone then like talk like do something other than then talk about the deal or talk about real estate right talk about like ask them something else like hey what stresses you out like what are you excited about what are you working on that's like most exciting to you right now um rather than just like hey let's talk about this one specific thing and i've been plenty of plenty of times at networking events and um you know being the guy kind of in the corner being like all right shit you know who do i go and talk to how am I going to go up and, you know, shake someone's hand and who even knows if it's worth it, right? Should I just sit on my phone and check emails or call someone or whatever? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a balance. Certainly there's times when if you're at an event or you're, you know, at a specific networking event, it's like, all right, this is, I'm kind of getting sick of this. I just want to go hang out and have a cup of coffee, which oftentimes I'll do. Um, but it's just a matter of, you know, go talk to people and figure out what they're working on. If you find a connection with them, great. If not great, go, you know, move on to the next one. I think a lot of people get stuck in conversations with people that they don't click with. Uh, number one, number two, they're at a networking event for a clearly professional reason. If you meet someone that clearly has no professional uh, benefit to you, move on, right? Say, Hey, I'm going to go, you know, shakes hands with a few other people. Great to meet you. 
Maybe we'll catch each other around. Maybe not. Who cares? But if there's no value in that relationship, there's no point in sitting there, spending time talking with them and just feeling stuck in that conversation. Yeah. With how expensive real estate conferences can be, you got to get your money's worth out of those networking sessions for sure. Yeah, I agree. And it's, I mean, really a lot of those two, you're going to meet maybe like best case scenario, probably two people um, that will have some influence and some impact and, um, you know, probably 10 people maybe that you'll stay in touch with in the future, but probably two that like one or two, if you're lucky, that will have like a true impact on your business in your future. So, um, you know, you're better off going and finding someone that you do get along with and that you can relate to and whatever else. So we talked about the strengths. What about the weaknesses? What do you feel like your weaknesses are and, and how do you combat them? So my, my weaknesses are like, uh, my weaknesses were, um, like our asset management and, and kind of staying on top of property managers and being organized with, uh, keeping all of our units being turned and delinquencies. Right. Because I would look at stuff, we would have weekly calls and, you know, and then I would tell them like, Hey, you know, what's the deal? What's going on with this? What's the status on this? Um, and they would tell me, and then I like would write nothing down and we'd have another call and maybe that's not still not done. Um, but now with Emmy handling all of that and doing, you know, she took that entire part off my plate has been great because then I can really focus on like what's beneficial to, to us long-term is buying more deals or finding more investors or, uh, building new relationships. Um, so that was definitely something that I would say that I sucked at and, you know, it's great to have off my plate. Gotcha. And not to keep things negative, but tell us about a story. Was there ever a time where you thought things were close to failure? There was a real big hiccup, large over budget renovation, something where you took a big hit and you had to figure your way out of it. Yeah. So luckily, I mean, not like terrible yet, right? We've had certainly had renovations go over budget and then just the cash flow is is tight for several months after that until it gets caught up, or else I'm, you know, we'll pump my own personal funds into the deal um to get it to the point that we need to get it to. Um but, you know, luckily I haven't had anything that's like, oh, massive blow up. I've had, I just am coming off of a, I say coming off, but it's like a, a eight unit gut renovation that's finishing up. And we're about six months behind um, uh, our projected timeline. And that's been an absolutely miserable process. Looking back, um, it was a lot of mistakes that I made on the front end of that deal that are the reason that we are now in this position. Um you know, granted a lot of it is like permit delays and things like that. But looking back, it's like, Hey, I could have done this differently and this differently to try and prevent that to happening. But I guess it's all part of a learning curve. And, um, you know, the, the property is worth more than we have into it. So it's, it's not like a blow up, but I would consider that like my, my failure at the moment, hopefully long-term it, it stays as, uh, as my failure. Yeah, exactly. So back on the positive side, what has been the most rewarding thing that's happened in during your investment career with commercial real estate or anything that you've gotten out of it or surrounding it? I would say the biggest rewarding thing is like I um you know when I when I started getting into this and kind of started seeing this uh the business, I thought that I wanted to have this time freedom and this location freedom to be able to kind of go and do things that I want to do. Um, and now I'm in that exact position. Granted, it's a ton of stress, but um, I'm in the exact position where I can 
pretty much be anywhere and pretty much do anything that I want, right? If I want to buy more deals, then I need to be working, um, which is what I do. But if I'm not worried about buying more deals, I can you know, realistically, I could like retire tomorrow and just be like, all right, I'm happy with what we have, but um, you know, I'm not at that stage. So, um, but I would say looking back, like I'm kind of living it, it, pretty much how I, how I would have wanted it to go or like the, you know, the professional side of, of how I was like, okay, I want this business to be here in three years and I'm at that point. So that's, you know, fun to look back and see like, Hey, I set that goal and it worked really. The goal was, um, I actually remember I told a friend of mine when he was buying a rental property, he was buying one rental and I was like, I just want to own uh 10% of a $10 million portfolio by the time I'm 30. And I just turned 29. I think I hit that goal when I was like 27 and I was like, this is, you know, I guess nothing changed, but it was like, it was I hit that goal a couple of years ago now. And so it's, it's looking back, it's like, Hey, that's kind of cool. That's awesome. So when you're dealing with capital raising investor yep. relations and cause you, you syndicate your deals, right? Yep. Yep. So when you're going out raising money, uh, having conversations with investors, what do those conversations sound like? How do you go about your capital raising process? And do you, is there any nuances that you, you use that are special and unique to you and your business? Yeah. So I would say the biggest thing that's unique to me is that I do a weekly newsletter and we, uh, it's called the capital stack. So if you go to the capital stack newsletter.com, uh, you can sign up and follow along, but every week we write a newsletter and at first when we had, you know, we've done many deals by now. Um, so there's been a, a good amount to talk about, but we'll talk about how we found a deal, what we liked about it, where we found it, um, what the business plan was and how we financed it, how we funded it on the equity side. So, you know, I'll get into the exact debt and equity terms, uh, business plan of it, and then, um, how it's going today. So, and then also every quarter we do a quarterly portfolio review look back on every property that we that we currently own uh, versus when we bought it and kind of look at, hey, here's here's where it started, here's where it's at now, just so everybody can see that. And that's been the number one thing for us um, for building up kind of the investor base is being able to just consistently talk to investors in that passive way where, um, you know, I send them an email every week and they can look at it if it's interesting, great, if not, great, um, but they can see what I'm doing. So it's a way for me to hopefully answer a lot of questions before a potential deal comes up. So, um, you know, now assuming I haven't bought a deal since last July and we started the newsletter in, I think November of 21, it's been like, I don't know, we're on like number 73 or something. So every week for 73 weeks. Um, but that's led to a ton of conversations with investors. We have more soft committed capital than I've ever had in the past. And I think that, that's been the number one thing that I've done. That's awesome. And so when you're, what are investors mostly asking about in these one-on-one -on -one questions, either their comments, their feedback with your deals, because it sounds like you took a, a pause and held your portfolio, worked on the management, worked on the investor relations. What well, are some of the pause interest rates just tripled? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so so what... I was trying to buy stuff, but interest rates went from three and a half to 
seven and now they're back to six or okay roughly six so gotcha Um, yeah i was gonna ask are you still were you still buying deals and just yeah with the market having peaked or plateaued or who knows where we're at currently in the future but uh in those lessons learned from speaking with the investors what were those conversations like and what what were you explaining to them and what did you learn from those conversations yeah so those conversations were really like i mean just kind of um, because they had they most of the investors that I have calls with have come from the newsletter earth. So first they come from like I post the newsletter then every week on LinkedIn and I post on, I become pretty active on Twitter. Um, so I get I think like a million impressions a month on on Twitter. So a lot of people come through Twitter. I have the newsletter in my bio on Twitter and then they sign up and they follow along and um, you know if they're interested, they schedule a call. So uh, but yeah, most of those calls, they've already been following the newsletter for a little while, so they know what I'm doing. So there's very um, there's very few questions about the deal specifically. It's more just getting uh, them getting to know me personally. So um, which I think is a, like probably the number one most important part of investing in real estate is you're investing in the person more than the deal, right? A bad person can screw up a good deal. So most of those calls are really just them getting to know me and it's the same exact um, kind of process as you go through, if you're going direct to seller is figure out if it's someone that you like and enjoy and, you know, could get along with and, um, trust. So, um, you know, what I've learned from that is, is the exact same thing is, is present, uh, you know, like kind of present what we do in a very nuts and bolts sort of way. And if it works for their investment strategy, great. If not great, right. There's, you know, millions of people that want to invest in real estate and, all sorts of different ways. There's a hundred thousand ways to do it. I don't want to tell someone that, Hey, this is the only way, or this is the best way. It's just, this is a way, right? If you want to come and do it, great. If you want to do it with us, great. If not, there's 150 other ways. You could go buy REITs and probably do better than most syndicators. Um, so it's, it's just a matter of being a likable person and being able to convey a message and, and be someone that they can trust with their money. So what are you doing to attract more investors get more capital commitments and spread the word about you, your business, and have more of those conversations with more investors. Yeah, so I share a lot of small wins on social media, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and kind of through a newsletter. So, um, you know, I'll post about a if we refinance a deal, right? I'll post about what our cost was into it and a ref the terms of our refinance and what that looked like, or if we sold a deal, right? I'll talk about how we found it, how we bought it, how we financed it on the front end, and then what we sold it for and what those results were. Um, but then also kind of at the smaller scale, I'll talk about individual units, right? If we take a unit that was rented for 750 bucks and we spent 10 grand on that unit to renovate it, now it's going to rent for 11 or 1200. Um, I'll share that info right as well. So it's, it's very, something very easy to say, um, you know, this unit was rented for seven. Now it's rented for 12. We spent 10 grand to get there. And I think being able to consistently show that and talk about that uh, makes it easier when an investor sees an OM where rent is going up 30% in the first year or, you know, 25% or as these units turn, we're going to, you know, increase the rent from 700 to 1400 or 900 to 12, right? On the surface, it's like, okay, that's, you know, that's nuts. That's a 30%, 40% increase. Um, but then we're able to look back and say, okay, well, we did it here. We did it here. We did it here. This property is in a very similar area. We think, you know, with strong confidence, we can do it again. And that's where it comes into play is being able to share those 
you know, the small wins on the, the individual unit sides, but then also on the property level, if it's a sale or a refinance or whatever the case may be. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a running theme with many of the conversations we've had is that transparency is key because even in the world of real estate, private equity syndications, historically it's been that way. It's been private behind closed doors, very tight knit communities, people doing these deals. And it's been a very non-public situation. And so in order for us to go out and raise capital, you know, I'm an altruistic guy. I want people to know about what I'm doing. I'm excited about what I'm doing and posting those things and letting people know like, Hey, here's, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're working on and showing people that they have the availability to you, the, the operator and that you're just a call away or, or however your investor relations are goes a long way with investors. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's technically it's real estate, private equity. So it is private. And most of our deals are 506 B syndication. So we can't publicly advertise if we're raising capital. So people need to approach me if they're interested in investing really, unless, you know, unless I don't have an active deal and I can kind of talk with them about their future and kind of build a relationship from there. But, um, you know, not being able to pitch a deal, uh, to someone without having built a relationship with them. Um, you know, it, it, you have to be able to actually build that relationship and kind of draw that conversation out, right? If you're able to show a before and an after, even exterior before and afters, if you paint a building, that 100% of the time grabs eyeballs and grabs interest. And, um, you know, then it's like, okay, they're doing a good job. Now do I like the guy and trust the guy? So, um, you know, that that kind of opens up that door to have those first conversations. Exactly. And so what if you're someone who's just starting out, just got their first deal under contract. Now they need to go out and raise capital or they're starting to have conversations with investors to get a deal under contract. What is your advice for the new investor who doesn't have that track record? I would say uh, partner with someone that does or partner with some, you know, kind of partner with someone that has the ability to do it in theory without you, uh, but bring them a deal, get a you know piece of the equity or a fee or however you want to structure it that fits what you're looking for. Um, but yeah, I would a hundred percent partner with someone that knows what they're doing because, um, you know, also like there's one thing of like, you don't know what you don't know. And then the other part of it is if you're going to go pitch investors, you can lean on their track record or their history or whatever, you know, their experience and knowledge of it rather than just saying like, Hey, you know, this is my first deal. I don't know what I'm doing, but uh, I want a million dollars, right? It's kind of a, it's a tough pitch. Granted, people have done it and done it well, um, but it's, it's uh, unless you have like family, friends, um, you know, people that have, you've known forever and really thoroughly trust you, then, you know, you should be able to, to do it that way. But I would say, you know, if you don't have the immediate network that can fund your first deals, then you should just partner with someone that has the ability to go raise that capital. So let's give a, a real specific example. Is there, an, or I'll ask you for a specific example. If you're someone that just got a deal under contract, you think it's a good deal, you want to partner with somebody and you want to introduce, say, hey, I'm willing to give this or that, what's kind of a good structure that you would start with? Yeah, so um, I would not even approach it from like, hey, I'm willing to give this or that. It's like, hey, I have this deal. What are you willing to give me, right? Um and so like my, my first deal that uh, I did with David Tupin, we structured it as I got 10% of the general partnership. 
and then I got 15% of the wholesale uh, from that closing. So I got 15% of our wholesale fee and I got 10% of the GP. So um, we had the GP LP structure structured, but um, his equity and my equity was in the general partnership. I got 10% of that and I was required to put $0 in. I didn't sign on any loans. I didn't, I wasn't required to do any of the work. Um, it was really just like, you know, get dragged along in the coattails and it worked out really well. So honestly, uh, that's the way I would structure it. I've structured that a couple of times with other investors that are looking to do their first deal where it's like, Hey, you don't put up any money. Um, you don't do anything. You don't raise any capital. You don't sign in any loans. You just find a deal and bring it to me and you'll get 10% of the GP and, you know, come along in the coattails. You can learn whatever you can learn, do whatever you want to do. Um, and if you want to take all of that knowledge and go do another deal and get a bigger piece of it on the, the next one. Uh, great. You know, and that's, I've done that now, I think three or four times, um, with other investors. So I would, I would say do it exactly that way. Gotcha. I mean, that's, that's what I did. And that's what other people have done, um, with me being the one taking them on my coattails. So it's, it's kind of the only way I know, to be honest. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you for sharing that example. So I've, yeah. This has flown by. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, one last question or two, I'm going to ask where people can find you last, but what is one last piece of advice for the listeners to get them fired up, to go out there, find deals, continue trying to be a master of commercial real estate? What's your advice for for the listeners to send them off? Yeah, I would say um, go out and like try Right. A lot of people kind of get intimidated by this idea of it, of calling on a 20 unit apartment building that might be two or $3 million or $10 million or whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, every single apartment owner for the most part is a normal person, um, you know, and kind of just treat it that way rather than, uh, sitting around waiting for a broker to send you a deal when you're starting out a broker's not going to send you nothing because, you know, you've shown nothing. So, um, you know, you really kind of got to, uh, you're going to eat what you kill. So you got to go out there and, and hunt for it. Gotcha. Where can everybody find you? What links can you give us? And what's the best place for people to reach out to you? Yeah, I would say the the number one easiest thing is go to the capital stack newsletter.com and sign up for my newsletter. And then all of my social media links are in there. You know, I'm on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, um, LinkedIn. So, uh, you know, and then all of my email and cell phone number is on there. So um, yeah, that would be the the best place kind of where everything's at. Perfect. And we'll get links to all that for all the listeners. Tori, thank you so much. It was an honor talking with you today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. All right, guys. Well, this has been the latest episode of the Mastering Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Mortensen. And until next time, thanks, Tori.